This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Brews and Buzzwords. Today we are talking about brands and their social responsibility. So the question is, do they have to opt into that? Um, we're going to talk about all the stats relating to social responsibility, if it really does attract more clients, consumers, and what our perspectives are on it. Today, I am joined by Bowie, our social media specialist, and Michael, who's usually behind the camera, our digital content producer. So I'm so excited to talk to you two today. Um, we, I think behind the scenes, we talk a lot about social responsibility. Like the three of us have that in common where it's pretty valuable to us, I would say, in like how we spend, our, our dollars feel like votes. Um, Bowie, what's your perspective on brands and what social responsibility they have to have? I think entering into this decade of the 2020s, brands have to be socially responsible. There's no space for anyone to not speak and have their actions match their words. And yeah. Michael? Yeah, no, I'm totally on board with that. I think um, it's something we've heard a lot, and I think the trend continues. But um, not having an opinion or not voicing your opinion is saying something in and of itself. Um, and I think especially younger generations are a lot more uh, a lot more aware of uh, of brands because social media, every brand is able to have that voice. And because we're also more socially aware, we're more cognizant of when brands aren't making that commentary, not joining the conversation. And I think it's becoming increasingly important as uh, as the years go on. Yeah. What what are the stats again? Like something like 75 percent of millennials or like even higher percentage of Gen Z, like really take into account social responsibility from like anyone they shop from. Is that somewhat correct? My yeah. numbers are like out of nowhere. But. Like I don't have the notes off of hand. Yeah. Uh, but what we do see is the trend is growing. The younger and younger we look at the demographics, sorry, the grouping of demographics, the more important it is. And mm -hmm. it isn't a 5% increase or whatever. It's a dramatic increase. Yeah. Um, it's becoming top of mind for consumers that the brands that they're supporting are speaking to their actions. Yeah. And what type of like actions are we talking? We're like thinking climate change, mm -hmm. racial issues, um, political issues, political alignments. Um, what else? Like diversity. LGBTQ inclusion, matters. All, LGBTQ matters. Like all of these things. Like, and so... When it comes to that, is it important for a brand to like choose one of those matters and show their alignment? I, uh, <laughs> I think it can be really tricky because a lot of brands have a fear of aligning themselves with one specific issue, um, especially because when you align yourself to a specific issue with that comes has to come a commitment to researching and fully understanding that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of companies because especially older companies uh, weren't built with social issues in mind, the way the company is structured, the people higher up yeah. often, if they don't have that, the, for example, diversity of, 
of uh, gender representation mm-hmm. of um, of racial uh, uh, different racial groups, um, then it can often feel disingenuous. And I think there's like a yeah. fear to align with one specific issue. Uh, I think it's important to first of all be aware and educate educate yourself as a as a company as an organization before you even dive into making making a big statement about something making sure that you understand the issues first of all is really important and it really shows when companies don't do that research and don't look into it right it's it's very apparent and i think um i think as the years go on people are are getting a little better at sensing when things are disingenuous right so Just to add on to something you said that was really interesting. You were talking about how executive leadership, the people at the top, um, might not be super educated on these matters. Most of the time when it comes to social responsibility, we actually see that it's started by middle managers. These are initiatives spearheaded by middle managers. And that's one of the reasons why we see so many disconnects between actions and the words that they speak. Mm-hmm. When it comes to social responsibility, it's something that needs to, in some sense, be carried out at all levels of the organization. Of course, the basics. Treat everyone with respect. You should not be discriminating. That should be clear. But when you want to take that one step further, those have to align with your brand values, your guiding star, you know, um, why your organization exists in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of sense for uh, a company that specializes in clothing or apparel to go off and say, yeah, we're going to start educating people in um, food handling and like support women in food, right? It does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't translate, right. right? Right. So there has to be that core value alignment, like across the board, and then like it resonating through. But I think something that you mentioned, Michael, is like the the sense of it being disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Like I think we've seen a lot of brands that have failed at it. And like off the top of my head, I can think of so many examples. Um, Black Square on Instagram, rainbow washing, like every brand just having rainbows all over the place in the month of June. And then in July, they're like, take down the rainbows. Um, Right now, like in my mind, I'm thinking of this weird scam that's on Instagram. (laughs) It's like (laughs) post a pet plant a tree. Have you guys seen that? Like 4 million people posted it, but there's no transparency. It's a scam, whatever. But like, using these social issues to kind of like create like viral moments and stuff. And then for it to like fall through is like very disheartening. Can you guys think of examples of like failures in that, that regard? So I think what we're really speaking about is the theater of social responsibility and the performative aspects of it. Right. Uh, The one that I'm always thinking about that happened semi recently was coach who for a very long time, was talking about how they're sustainable, how they're trying to get more ethical in their practices, both in production as well as like the the foundations that they support. But then they participate in um, product destruction. It doesn't align because it's super wasteful. We know the fashion chain is probably one of the one of the more uh, immediate ways that we can help with climate change, um, and immediately we saw backlash once that came out. And that product destruction was like somebody had like exposed them because they did what? Dumpster diving, found a bunch of just slashed bags and the bags were just what? Returns? Returns. Old lines, uh, like things that they were just trying to like discontinue. They get insurance money for every product destroyed. Hmm. So that's why they do it. 
I, that, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> so rather than taking the full loss of an old product or yeah. still having it on the shelves and having to deal with it, they said, F it. We're just going to destroy it. And at least we get some percentage back, you know? Right. I know that exists also in uh, in the music industry. Yeah. Um, I, I love guitars. I've spent a lot of time in guitar stores. Uh, and something I've heard is a lot of larger brands um, will refuse to let uh, stores stock uh, like what's considered like B stock. So if there's like a minor dent, a little ding, there's an issue with like a tuner or something, something that normally would be a very easy fix or that somebody wouldn't mind, especially like a young guitarist who wants to pick up a more affordable instrument. Um, they aren't able to do that because these big brands would rather have like this pristine image. And so they say, destroy the guitars, throw them out in like dumpsters. I know brands like uh, Gibson, which sadly I'm, I'm a fan of their guitar. So it makes me sad to, to know that that's true with them. I know Fender does the same. Um, so yeah, it's sadly a lot of companies participate in that. And I think uh, it is mattering more to more people now, um, especially as we're trying to eliminate cycles of waste. Um, I know a lot more people are more open now to things like thrift shopping. Yeah. I know half the clothes I get now are from Value Village, which I know also isn't a perfect company. Yeah. Um, but it at least helps to stop contributing to that like awful cycle of just yeah. throwing things out. Um, so yeah, I think that stuff like that matters a lot. We uh, see that also in, beside greenwashing, which is like environmental, um, we also see that with like rainbow washing and with pink washing, which yeah. is breast cancer, right? Yeah. Like um, I believe there is a fantastic documentary that was produced in Toronto about how Unilever, um, one of the primary, it might've been Johnson Johnson, one of the conglomerates uh, that specializes in home good products yeah. Um, their products carry things that we kind of know are most likely to be carcinogens, yet they're also the largest supporter of the breast cancer marathon that happens every year, you know? Like, there's a lot of contradicting um, actions and statements being held here. And I think you're talking about the whole baby powder thing, right? Where it's like, okay, whatever company produces that baby powder is now separating that into a sub-company so that it doesn't affect their entire company when they get sued or for whatever reasons like Mm -hmm. liabilities it's a separate entity and it doesn't take away from like the main but it's that's a whole marketing thing creating these sub brands right absolutely and i think that now that consumers are craving more and more transparency there's starting to be this understanding of like okay who's the parent company what are they doing and then what are the sub companies that they're trying to market this whole i think we had a conversation around the beauty and skincare industry, which is so innovative. They market so much because it is a billion Mm -hmm. dollar industry. It's so profitable and it's a consumable. So people have to consistently buy it. Like how, how brands are, I don't know, very innovative in that sense, but then the sub brands of it, Estee Lauder might be the one that does animal testing and all that, but their sub brand is saying like, we are green one, like green and clean and whatever. And all of these labels that, may or may not mean anything. It's a lot of consumer, um, I'm not going to say deception straight up, but a lot of massaging of messages to like very quickly show you that this stands out from the crowd in this way. But like, what does clean beauty really truly mean? Right. The, um, it's interesting you brought up, um, uh, skincare and, uh, those, those sorts of product lines. Um, cause I think one of the best and possibly most like iconic examples of this, like contradiction companies have is Dove, who is known for their 
campaigns all about accepting different body types, different skin colors. Mm -hmm. All their campaigns are about like accepting your beauty and like finding beauty in everyone. Um, And then you have Axe, who's made by the exact same company that around the exact same time Dove was starting to switch to that marketing scheme. Um, Axe was making uh, commercials where it's like you put you put uh, Axe deodorant on, you spray that on and you're going to have hordes of hordes of uh, bikini clad women chasing after you. And it's like uh, it's just a weird contradiction. And I think I don't even think it's so much that like you're not allowed to have like sexy branding or whatever it's just like you people are now more aware of like you gotta like pick pick a side and be honest about it yeah because it's almost it's almost better to just like own up to how you actually are than than to like pretend to be this like massaged fake version of of yourself yeah um it's interesting you mentioned that companies are like creating sub sub brands to sort of separate themselves Because it's it's totally a problem. Like I, I think everybody kind of knows now, and I think Axe is even starting to change their yeah. their branding quite a bit. That's the craving of authenticity, right? It's like we're, I don't know, as consumers looking for not being lied to, not being deceived into buying certain things. Like with so many options out there, how do you start the research of like finding out like what brand you want to support in a situation? Um was there a stat? Like, do I remember this correctly? There's like one out there that's like some younger demographics will pay more money for the brand that does the right yes. thing or aligns with their values. Yes. People are willing to pay top dollar with for brands that actually follow through on what their values mean and have clear transparency on those actions. You know, mm-hmm. like it makes a big difference. And on the other side, people are willing to avoid and boycott bad brands they're willing to avoid and boycott brands specifically because their actions don't match their words or their actions were really harmful. Right. I think Gen Z specifically is um, considered to be one of the most like progressive generations in recent right, recent history and probably in general. Um, and as uh, older Gen Zs start to get more uh, like higher paying jobs and start going into their career jobs, um, they have a lot more buying power now. And mm-hmm. as we see the stats continue to shift more in the direction of favoring socially responsible companies, it's going to matter a heck of a lot more every single year that yep. goes by. Like even millennials who are now like the highest spending bracket because they all live in condos, they don't have kids, you know, they have that disposable income. Yep. They, it, it's something that matters to them. Like they want to make sure their brands are supporting the things that value that they value and matter to them. Mm-hmm. So are there brands that are actually doing this well, or can you think of any that have like truly demonstrated in maybe extreme ways, like very polarizing ways, how they do want to align with certain issues with the willingness to repel huge groups of others? Yeah. So for <laughs> me, my favorite example of this is Patagonia. Uh, Patagonia, for those who don't know, uh, is a brand that was started with environmentalism in mind. Always has been a core value. Their clothes are designed and made for repair and mending, right? And they carry that through, uh, and that history still stands today. So uh, I believe about 10 years ago, they started doing corporate uh, packages where you can get your logo on their goods. But what happened was that Silicon Valley and Wall Street people started to purchase these in mass in mass uh, quantities. And finance it became, bro uniform. Yeah, <laughs> it became the finance bro uniform. Yeah, 
And for Patagonia, it didn't make sense. And they hated that. They were like, this is a nightmare. No. (laughs) So what they made uh, the executive decision was that this is not us. We don't want to be supporting these organizations. So we will opt in to not offer this as a service altogether. And of course, anyone who works in B2B knows that those are major contracts, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you sell thousands of units at exactly. a time because, like, you're just supplying them as, like, the swag for your whole company. Absolutely. So it's major sales, but they were just saying, like, we, we reject not. this image, right? Yeah. But it's – the founder is the one who – um major like outdoorsmen and everything. I think every year for Black Friday, they're the one that stands out to me where they're like, we're actually closed on Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Like, Do we're, not buy this jacket. Don't buy our stuff on Black yeah. Friday. They'll close, have they closed their e-commerce store? I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly, but they'll just be like, we don't want you to buy from us. Yeah. Like, let's not overconsume. It's not about that right now. And there are some reports that when they first launched the do not buy this jacket ad in, I believe in the New York Times, um, their sales rose for the holiday season up 17%. So it's not like they missed out on a very successful holiday season, right? Like we also see it in uh, DCM where they they say shop slowly, 23% off the entire month, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a growing aspect of how these companies operate. Absolutely. Uh, The example that I was thinking of comes not so much from a a corporate brand, um, but from the arts, uh, and I think it's also an important point to bring up because um, especially with m- the music scene currently, it has such a big impact on uh, fashion, on design um, and on culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I know a lot of brand, a lot of musicians have actually transitioned into things like fashion with like Kanye doing his stuff with Adidas and Nike before that. And like Virgil Abloh, who is a DJ who started uh, Off-White and is now working with uh, Louis Vuitton. Um, but one of the earliest examples I can think of where they really set themselves apart, maybe a cliche, but is Nirvana. I know, I think it was on their In Utero album. Um, they had a little like liner note or it's either on the back or it's the inside notes, um, where they, they had like a statement There was something along the lines of if you're like sexist, homophobic, a misogynist, transphobic, whatever, this is in the like Mm nineties, like don't come to our shows. Like we don't want you to be our fans. Um, and I think it's it was an especially like powerful message um, in that time. And also because I feel like in the punk and the rock scenes, it often has a habit of breeding really like negative yeah. ideologies um, and, and perpetuating those ideas. Uh, so I think uh, it's cool to see when musicians and artists also champion those those messages. I think it extends a lot beyond just like big corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when big corporations see an artist as big as Nirvana um, or shoot, I can't think of a more recent one. I have one on my mind, but it, it left. Um, I think that also influences how, how brands feel, how comfortable brands are with making those statements like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's not a big deal to say like, yeah, like gay people course, should have rights. Of course. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't hate gay people and we're not like yeah. misogynists or yeah. transphobic, but like it, it's a, it was a big, powerful statement. And I think that type of stuff has a big impact on corporations and brands. I think so. Like it, a lot of these things, they have to start from artists or they have to start somewhere. And like where I'm thinking I'm, I'm starting to see it a lot is a lot of um, tattoo artists in shops mm-hmm. now, right on like Instagram profiles, wherever they're just straight up writing like no turfs. Like, and I'm seeing it so frequently. I'm like, 
huh, this is probably a huge problem in their industry in general that they're just like, they have to point that out all the time. Like no turfs, like no fascists, no racists. Um, yesterday, my husband brought back um, some beers from a brewery at Reinhard, which is in Toronto. And th- I was like looking at the one label because it looked like really like like crust punk kind of label. Yeah. And it was called, the beer was called Mash the Fash, I think. And on it, it said like, pro beer, anti-fascist. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I was like, this is like a kind of extreme political statement. Like yeah. not extreme in that, like, well, it's not wrong, but like I was looking at that. And I was like, that's awesome that they, they like put their political alignment so forward on, on their labels of beers. And it was like collaboration with another brewery. And I was like, Hey, aligns, aligns with us. Like, obviously we bought, bought the beer, you know, and that like small way you're kind of like, those are our beliefs. Yeah. Like when we look at consumers, the reason they purchase for brands versus like um, a consumption for, fuck what's it called? oh my God, brand, you have in your PowerPoint brand versus product, brand versus commodity, commodity. Sorry. I'm going to restart that. Yeah. So what we see with brands, what we see with consumers is that they want to purchase from brands. They're not shopping for commodities exactly. And the reason they do that is because they want to align their values, right? So it totally translates that they're, what's important to them, whether it's environment, gay rights, you know, um, feminism, that they're aligning with brands that support that, right? Like they want to align their lifestyle with what that brand represents and they Mm -hmm. will pay more money for it. And I I think that doesn't happen unless the brand is truly authentically. Absolutely. To tie it back to the, like not being disingenuous about it. Um, like you, this is another like cliched over talked about example, but I remember when Pepsi did the whole, like, like, um, I don't even remember what, what they were trying to like imitate, but they like, they had a whole ad where there was this big protest and everything. Oh, you're talking about the like, Kendall Jenner? Yeah. Thing. And it was, it was like, like, it was like, here's a Pepsi. Here's, we we're going to solve it. like police, police violence with Oh God. And Pepsi. it was like at such a weird political time when it, it's like yeah. the, the statement was like, having a Pepsi, everyone would chill out, like have a Snickers, you know, Right. like it was so odd. But it's like when, when you can tell that brands haven't like done their due diligence no. and it's and very much just a marketing thing. It's that's like, when that authenticity isn't there. They're just trying to tap into that. Yeah. And I think uh, this could open up a whole other conversation here, but when brands realize the importance of social responsibility, but then take to it without that further understanding, that's when they go wrong and they do a, Pepsi being handed over to stop a, you know, a protest, protest or whatever. Yeah. And to keep in mind with that ad too, it was so generic. You can be on any side of any issue and it would apply to you. And that was part of the issue. People made whole videos where yeah. they were like dissecting the, like the signs that protesters had. Mm-hmm. And it was just like love. And it was like, what, <laughs> what, are, what are we like, saying here? There's no point to it. It didn't have to exist. It didn't say anything. It was right? simply a parade. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's a great example of performative like allyship. Yeah, for nothing. And that performative aspect is like truly what you would want to avoid as a brand, yeah. right? Like to say, "Hmm, sounds like the hey fellow kids. Sounds like you like social stuff. Right. Apply this, right?" So it's that the way to not go wrong is to not jump into these trends without having done the further research mm-hmm. of like why people care about it what the root issue is and like what we're trying to get towards. Right. I think that that starts with, um, with figuring out your specific brand values, which is something that we've like talked about quite a bit is like, once you figure out your 
truly your core values, um, which doesn't have to be like we support X group or we support X initiative. It's, uh, for for example, um, if inclusivity is a big part of your brand, like in terms of gender identity, sexuality, um, then once you have those uh, and you do and you, it's truly what you believe in, like from the top down and everybody within your company is on board with it mm-hmm. and uh, excuse me, and putting the necessary practices in action to support whatever issues those those things may be. Um, then once there is a group or an organization or when the topic becomes uh, brought up in conversation in in uh, pop- popular culture, on Twitter, on social media, then when you jump into the conversation and you support a X group or X initiative, it doesn't feel like this is like some out of nowhere thing because it's aligned with your values from the beginning. And then the internet and social media means that we can dive back and see what your company was doing five, 10 years ago. So if people look back and truly from the beginning, you your hiring practices are inclusive, your um, your uh, everything you've stood up for up to that point has been in line with what you're saying right now, then there's no reason for people to think that like that that's disingenuous. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that leads to this conversation around canceling. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of older demographics are very willing to say like Gen Z millennials are so quick to cancel brands cancel things that are happening. What are your thoughts on that? Because to me, I'm like, eh, I just choose not to spend my money there or invest my energy into it. Pepsi is not canceled to me. They're still profiting just fine or, mm. or whatever brands. Like, what are your thoughts on, on brands and that fear of cancellation? I think when it comes to cancellation, honestly, it's a very, it, it really happens on a personal level. And you might get some backlash, but we know for a fact that these companies still exist. They're still thriving. It's simply accountability, right? Yeah, but it, there's no it actual consequence to a cancel, which is I choose to divest my energy from exactly, it. exactly. Yeah, I don't. I I think like the term cancel culture, as it's commonly used now, is like first of all overused because I don't think like I don't think cancel cancel culture really exists for big brands and personalities as like people think it does. Like I, I heard an example on a recent uh, podcast. I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was saying like, it's hilarious hearing, um, hearing a lot of like comedians and stuff complain about cancel culture on their two hour podcast. That's listened to by millions of people. Like, absolutely. Are you really canceled or are people just, do people just now have the ability to communicate yep. their feelings on social media? Yeah. Like, I remember the Oscars um, for the longest time. They were going on, no problem. And finally, one of the years, people decided, yeah, we should speak out about the lack of diversity in the nominations. And it's not like people didn't know about it. It's not like this was an issue that just happened out of nowhere, right? Like, they got letters about it. But now, everybody could send a letter, and everyone can see everyone else's letters. And it's that feeling. It's more of a feeling for like that organization than anything else, but it passes, you know, like, and it's a personal choice to make sure again, like that energy is not being wasted. Yeah. And that social change has to happen from somewhere, right? It's like, okay, other people have realized that this has been happening. So it's absolutely like, I, 
I agree with like that podcast thing you heard. I think I heard a similar one where it was just like, okay, once, you know, a celebrity does get canceled, canceled by who, first of all, and then whoever's on the opposite side of that saying like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. They go on their like canceled apology tour yeah. and they, they get this like yep. whole big new platform yeah. where their new platform of talking about everything is about how they've been canceled and how there's like too much of that. And it's like this apology tour book podcast appearances, et cetera, is like a whole other burst of energy for them on that side. And yeah. Like YouTube personalities yeah. thrive on that. They the thrive. Pauls. Yeah. The Pauls <laughs> and all those videos are monetized. Every time they're of watched, yeah. they get ad revenue, you know, like yeah. there is an economy in cancel culture itself, which is radical. There's no, like, nobody's having problems with being canceled. Like no. the James Charles, your Jeffree Star, you're all of these like the makeup people, everything. Like it's like they, they're not canceled. They still have their platforms, right? Yeah. So um, should brands be fearful of being canceled? I think the conversation has to start somewhere personally. And as long as whatever you're speaking about is truly aligned with your brand, you shouldn't be afraid to start making those marks, start that conversation. Like it has to start somewhere. And again, we have seen from like Patagonia and other brands that aligning your values with your action, your corporate response or your social responsibility, it really shows to your consumers and can really affect your bottom line. Uh, I almost think brands shouldn't be so fearful of cancel culture so much as they should see it as um, as what the community and what the culture cares about more. Um, I think if you have that fear of being canceled, it's almost a good opportunity to think to yourself, maybe it's time to rework my values and think about what we really care about as an organization and start taking the steps in the right direction. Um, because unless you are a huge organization and you have thousands of people talking about you, or if your whole community is talking about you, there's, you shouldn't be too afraid of it affecting your, your bottom line. Um, but you should be aware of like, if, if a brand, a larger brand gets quote unquote, canceled or a bunch of people come for them on social media, take that as an opportunity to go, is there something I'm doing right now in my organization that, uh, that people care about and is clearly a big issue and what's something I can do to course correct that so that not so that I don't get canceled, but so that, uh, so that I have values that are in line with the things that will help my community yep. support the people around me and ultimately make my company a, a better place to work and yeah. provide a better service to, to the public. You always have to be producing value, right? Mm. And this is a major value for consumers, also your staff and everyone involved, but it's such a major opportunity and it can definitely increase your brand and your bottom line. I think in that conversation of social responsibility as a brand or even as an individual, it's about that willingness to take imperfect actions. Yeah. And like that's one of our core values as a company is like progress over perfection essentially is like how it, how it boils down. But that progress over perfection means that you're going to take an action that may not be perfect. But if somebody questions that, if something happens, that willingness to be corrected or that willingness to say like, my gosh, like I my own ignorance, like I didn't know that, but I'm going to make that change going forward is radical in itself because I feel like brands feel like they have to be so perfect. Mm -hmm. They have to craft a PR message to perfect that and double down. And that's where you really go wrong. When you say like, 
I can't simply apologize for something. I have to like say, that's what I meant from the first place. And like, that's really the wrong way to take these actions to say, okay, social responsibility is important to us. There's a lot of nuance in it. And I think people are willing to forgive also. I think uh, when a lot of people talk about cancel culture, especially for big celebrities and stuff, what they're really saying is I'm not allowed to say whatever I want without consequence anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I, what the you, rest of us do. Yeah, <laughs> you are allowed to say whatever you want, but you have to, you have to also be cognizant of how people will mm-hmm. respond and how it'll make other people feel. And I think if you're going into, if you're going into um, social media or however you're presenting yourself and your marketing and your brand with that attitude of, I need to be aware of the people around me, you're already starting off on a good foot. Yeah. So I, I think companies shouldn't be so in fear of cancel culture. I think it should be more about like, what can we do to proactively be better? Absolutely. And I think that's a great approach to take, just taking imperfect action, actually taking action, asking the questions and seeing what the community expects from you. So I think we had a great conversation today. Um, in conclusion... Let's be authentic about things, brands. We really want to see it. We want to see what you're really leaning into and your beliefs and those values. And make sure those are always presented. Thanks for the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.